Hello, I'm TJ, and welcome to my garden. And today there are no rules. Well, there are some rules, but we're going to talk about different experiments you could do with plant breeding. Uh, now, a lot of these are going to take some time because plants have, you know, you have to grow a different generation each year. Uh, I'm going to talk about a way to speed that up a little bit later, and I'm also going to talk about um, a product out there that lets you speed that up quite a bit. So let's get started with, with the conventional stuff. So well, I told you about um, not raising the seed from taken from a hybrid plant, right? An F1 or F2 hybrid. You can do that. So the reason why I told you not to is because you're likely to get more traits of one or the other parent and neither of those parents were bred themselves to be eaten. They're not good varieties on their own. They're just made to cross and make a new variety that is better. But sometimes they produce an interesting flavor and Sometimes you can back cross them again and again and again and eventually create something that's pretty close to the hybrid variety that's stable enough that you can actually then keep it as an open pollinated variety. There are several projects to do this. Um, there have been several attempts at this with Sun Gold, none of which have been completely successful. Using F1 or F2 hybrids as a base, taking their seed, growing it out, and then, you know, using conventional plant breeding methods, you can come up with some interesting varieties, and there have been a few cases of that. So there are reasons why you would want to do that. Um, with your apples, obviously I, I already pointed to one reason you might grow from apple seed. If you're, if you're only worried about cider, um, you can actually get some decent cider apples just by letting them, you know, reproduce naturally. Another thing is there are efforts to take varieties that traditionally cannot be reproduced from seed, things like apples and potatoes, and make consistent seed varieties. There's a huge movement right now in trying to breed potatoes that are consistent from seed and there are a couple of success stories you can actually buy one one is um one of this year's let's say proven winners but that's not the word i'm looking for basically it's it's actually there is a, a variety of potato out there i'll put a link to it in the show notes that you can grow from seed and they grow reliably and when you grow them you get a similar potato it's kind of a, a better from what they said a boiling mashing potato um, not necessarily so great for frying but you have a consistent variety from seed um, and you could do the same thing with apples and stuff conventionally. Basically, what you're trying to do in those cases, though, is you're starting from square one and trying to breed these plants the same way we've domesticated our plants to create a consistent cultivar that, that reproduces the same true to seed every time. So you're trying to do with apples what we've already done with lettuce, which we sidestepped with apples by cloning them. Um, so that's possible. It's doable, and there, there are reasons to do that. Uh, another thing is... The most of these will take quite a bit of time, uh, especially like I said in the land race episode, that takes many generations to really get something consistent. But there is a little bit of a way to speed that up, and that is that you can kind of cheat. If you are somewhere like I am here in California, we can grow things most of the year, so sometimes you can squeeze in a couple of generations. I've done it before with some plants. I actually grew uh, two generations of corn this year from one, the second generation from saves, uh, from seed saved from the first generation. And you can also cheat by going to different climates. Now, uh, the dwarf tomato project was a project to basically take the couple of varieties of tomato we have that have a growth, uh, growing, uh, dwarf growth habit and to breed those into a multitude of varieties and they did this by sending seed back and forth between america and australia you could do this with any two regions that are on opposite sides of the globe uh, globe especially <laughs> globe sorry 
weird word, uh, especially if they have similar climate. So if you have, say, somebody in Australia and somebody in California, both in regions that have Mediterranean climates, they could grow similar plants. And so you could send plants backwards and forwards over a year. You can get in two growing seasons in those two areas and thus potentially breed a variety twice as fast. And this has actually worked. Uh, the Dwarf Tomato Project has produced a huge variety of dwarf seeds. Um, they're also really great varieties to pick up if you want to grow plants on your patio because they do just fine in small buckets. And they bred a few other varieties that way as well. So it's a really good way to cheat. Now, I said there was a product uh, that let you do this. And this is where things get interesting. The University of Minnesota, I believe, uh, they have created something called Fast Plants. And I believe that you can find that at fastplants.com. And what Fast Plants are is they're a variety of Oleracea rapa, which is the same plant that gives us beets. Uh, you can grow these plants in less than a month, something like three weeks, I want to say, um, they go through their entire life cycle. So they never, they don't become something you could eat. Uh, this is strictly if you want to play around with breeding experiments or show people plant life cycles, but you want to do it in a short period of time. You're not going to use these to develop a food variety or anything else that takes a lot of time to grow. But what these things do is they go straight from seed to plant, immediately go to flower and produce seed as quickly as possible. And they bred several varieties with different colors, shapes, textures. So you can basically do uh, experiments in Mendelian genetics, right? You can take ones with this trait or that trait, cross them. You can cross them under different circumstances and see what the differentials are. You can do all kinds of fun breeding experiments. And you could do, you know, many generations, four, five, six generations in a year of experimenting with them that with any other plant would take you four, five, six, seven years. Um, so there's a lot of advantage to that. Now, another kind of fun project. Um, this one, you have to look into your local laws for. Uh, there, there, there are legal issues here. But uh, if you can find a wild habitat where it is legal to collect some seed, you can collect seeds from your native plants and try to germinate them. Uh, trying different methods, you know, uh, braiding the outside to kind of open up the seed a little bit, soaking some seeds, freezing some seeds, exposing some seeds to uh, wood smoke and other smoke to, to try and simulate forest fires and other things that help certain seeds germinate. So you can experiment around with them and find the ways to make your native plants uh, reproduce from seed in a controlled way as opposed to in nature and actually grow more natives in your garden. Uh, it's also a good way to just propagate native plants in general so we have more of them. But yeah, there, there's a lot to do with that, too, where you can experiment with different ways of growing seed. Most of our domesticated varieties, as I've said before, we have bred to be easy to grow in, in the conditions we usually grow them in. So most row crops are bred to be grown in rows in a garden or in a garden or in a farm. They're not they, they don't have all these complicated triggers to make them germinate. They're meant to germinate as soon as they have anything remotely resembling good conditions to grow in. Uh, whereas wild or, you know, native plants, generally speaking, have a lot of things that have to be just right for them to grow to make absolutely sure they're growing in the right conditions. So that's another really uh, great project <laughs> that you can engage in, especially with kids. Um, they can see the different native plants, how they grow different life stages of the native plants. 
You could also try to domesticate an eggplant, although there isn't always a lot of reason to do that unless they have, say, flowers that you like or a shape you really enjoy. Um, but that's how, obviously, all plants eventually, you know, all domesticated plants eventually come from some native plant that has been changed through human breeding over time. Um, but another, a really good project, though, is like I said about potatoes, you can grow potato from seed. You can grow anything from seed, obviously. But if you grow potato from seed, the potatoes you get are going to be a diverse range of textures, shapes, sizes, everything, because we haven't truly domesticated potatoes, except for the variety I talked about a few minutes ago. Um, so you can actually grow a bunch from seed and then just pick the ones you like and grow those from tuber. That's how we did it in the first place. And if you grow them from tuber, you will reliably get. So if you produce something that is just the perfect mashing potato, in your opinion, or has a really cool color or really cool shape, you can then grow that on and grow the tubers from it on and so on and so forth and create your own variety that way. Or you can keep breeding them. This will take quite a bit longer, but you could keep breeding them over generations and create a consistent variety as has already been done. Uh, so these are just some projects. I just wanted to kind of give you some fun things to tackle um, and try to, I don't know, something long-term to play around with. Uh, the other stuff is about the short-term gain of just collecting seed. So all this boils down to one big thing. That is, like I said in the first episode, uh, the gift of seed is really a great way to bind communities together. And if you're working in the community or uh, school garden space, there's a lot to be said for growing quite a bit of plants and letting them go to seed, not only so the kids can see the seed, but also so the kids or other participants can take them home and grow them in their own yards and in their own gardens and spread the varieties throughout your community. Um, it's a really great way to help with, you know, issues of hunger. Um, if a person has a yard, but they don't have, a, you know, a reliable income and su supply of food, maybe they could grow a little. Uh, it might not be enough to, you know, completely sustain them or feed them, but every little bit could help. So, yeah, I, I think it's a great way. And actually... If you are doing a school garden and you reach out to, say, uh, Native Seed Search, uh, who I talked about before, their donation program, they do actually want you to share those seeds. So once you've grown the plant on, they want you to try and save some seed from it and distribute those seeds to the community. Um, so there's, if you're in one of those projects and you get a donation from them, there is a viable reason. You, you have to at least try. They don't require you do it because, you know, we all have crop failures, things like that, but they, they want there to be an effort put in to collect seed and to distribute it to the community. And at the garden I work at, I grow a lot of plants well past maturity for seed, which I then give freely to the kids to take home and grow themselves. Um, in a lot of cases, we have plenty of seed. Um, a lot of plants produce a lot of seeds, so we have plenty for them to take home and play around with. Even if half of them throw it away, half of them didn't. And so half of them will try and do something with them and maybe they won't succeed. It's probably a very tiny fraction of the kids who take seed that I give them, take it home, actually grow it in conditions they can grow in and actually get something from it. But that's way more than would have done it otherwise, right? <laughs> that is a tiny fraction, but it is a fraction that exists versus not existing at all. So I, I take some pride in that and I do enjoy that. So I hope this has been helpful. Um, if you would like more content on seed saving, you can definitely uh, shoot me a comment over at the website at uh, tjsgarden.x, sorry, tjsgarden.com uh, and the contact page on there. You can subscribe to the podcast at podcast.tjsgarden.com and please share that link out to anybody who you think might be interested. If you would enjoy a more organized 
course type format on seed saving. I have thought about doing it. So if you if I get enough interest, maybe I'll do something a little more cohesive than these episodes this week. Um, but anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, go out in your garden and have a great day. Bye.